There's so many emerging fields in voiceover. You know, obviously we're, we're all talking about voice here today, but, uh, you know, we, we have our eye on smart speakers and how people will use voices on those. So, uh, you know, we, we always say that we cast and produce on, you know, any platform that has to do with voice. You know, it, it's everything. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Jim Kennelly and Sam Ufred of Lotus Productions. One of my next guests, there are two, has specialized in finding the right voice for over 35 years. Lotus Productions in New York City gives their clients access to a wide variety of A-list, award-winning talent. After graduating from Syracuse University's Newhouse School, he traveled, microphone in hand, on documentary crews to the world's hotspots to cover political, social, and humanitarian aid subjects. He enjoys a 20-year career in the New York showbiz softball league, is a youth sports coach and mentor, and remains an avid college sports fan. Jim Kennelly has a national reputation as having honest insight and a positive attitude in the voiceover industry, and I'm really glad he was able to join me today. My other guest runs the board at Lotus Productions, directing sessions, delivering perspective and feedback during casting sessions, and sending the industry's best casting notices. A Jersey native and graduate of American University's School of Communications, she got her start in audio at Federal News Network and WTOP in Washington, D.C. as a producer, writer, and board operator before making her way north for a gig in the Big Apple. She loves talking about animation, cartoons, and video games. She's also an avid nerd culture fan, and I get the feeling she and I have a lot in common. (laughs) Her name is Sam Euphret, and I love that she's joining us too. I think this is a conversation that needs many different perspectives, and I'm looking forward to hearing both of theirs. I hope you are too. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today, guys. I really appreciate your making the time here. Thank you, Jody. It's uh, nice to be with you. Sam and I are excited. (laughs) Well, I I wanted to ask you first how you're doing, because weird times. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm I'm alive. (laughs) That's a good thing. I'm I'm alive. That's what it comes down to. We're all healthy. We're healthy, active, safe, connected. Very Uh, good. What do you think, Sam? Yes. (laughs) Like, I mean, I'll say this. I think everybody's trying their best to just work with what they have. I think that's kind of the vibe at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm working with what I got. I think everybody's just trying to survive and I feel people are just trying to get through it. So I think if we're just collectively trying to get through it, everybody's kind of okay. Yeah, COVID is sort of a cue to be innovative, I think. I think Sam and I uh, jumped on that. We're kind of ahead of that anyway, since yeah. Lotus is a global business. We had home studios uh, pre-built, pre, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's about... We're about three quarters of the year into pandemic now, and uh, we've been uh, really busy hiring talents all around the world and uh, using technology to connect to them. Uh, you know, maybe we're a little prepared for the moment, but sure. even within the moment, you know, it's a good time to be reevaluate, reevaluating what your business model is. So hopefully people have been doing that. Yeah, definitely. And I think all through this, it's been really interesting that we've been able to keep connected with everybody because of the technology stepping up. So it's really nice to see things like Zoom and and other video conference calling 
you know, programs and stuff mm-hmm. like that that are stepping up and making this a lot easier than yeah. it could have been. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At least we're yeah, all we're, connected. Yeah, we're in a, a fortunately, you know, Sam and I and my sister Marion, we've talked about it. You know, fortunately, the voiceover industry, the audio production business hasn't been, you know, adversely <laughs> affected by COVID. Uh, we're fortunate to be an industry where we can continue to be successful. And I think uh, all of us, you know, talents, agents, managers, production companies really need to take advantage of that and appreciate that fact. Yeah, definitely. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I think voiceover is unique in the fact that it has always been a very work from home friendly industry. True. At least, you know, easily since the, the mid to early 2000s, like the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I'll say this, for voiceover, for anybody who already had a home studio, it would have been surprising to see their workflow change for the negative. I think, you know, if you didn't really have time invested in a home studio, maybe that's where it impacted you a little bit. And, you know, it, it really kind of was a sink or swim moment for quite a few people, either you had the holdout to where like, nah, I don't really want to get a home studio. I don't see the point in it. Get faced with this moment of, oh, I really have to do this now. And then decide either I'm going to do it or, ah, you know, what, I'm done with this. So that that was really kind of a make or break it for a lot of people. That's so interesting. anybody who, yeah. Did, did you ever actually, willing... sorry, I, I hate to interrupt you no, there, no, but I, I'm curious. Did you, <laughs> did you come across any voice talent who went, no, I don't want a home studio. I'm done. <laughs> well... I mean, I'm trying to think. Did did we come up across anybody in particular? Oh. I think most people, if they like people who wanted to continue working with us, they're like, okay, I know that if I want to work with Lotus, I have to do this. Yeah, I think that's kind of what we saw a lot more of. But you know, pre-COVID, a lot of people were hesitant to do it because you know, it, and this is a particularly, I think, New York thing. Oh, L.A. or any large city, even Toronto. Yeah, it, it's like the main thing is it's like at least with L.A., you have the hope of having a soundproof apartment. Where New York, you know, they were old tenement buildings the walls are thin you're lucky if you could get peace and quiet at 3 a.m so that's why a lot of people probably never bother to invest in having a home studio because it's like ah, i could just go to a studio i think studios are like a big integral part of the new york market in general but then with all of this happening it's like okay i really have to have this done yeah it's been really interesting i think also because you know a lot of people i think thought that they could get away with not having the studio because they didn't want to wear so many hats mm-hmm. yeah and you know i get that i totally do but these days you have to wear a lot of hats and yeah. that's just the way it is <laughs> oh yeah the, the the pandemic really isn't just about survival it's about becoming unstuck in your in your thinking you know mm-hmm. whether it's creating a home studio making that investment you're really setting yourself up for the next three five or eight years in this industry oh, and yeah. i think yeah. that's the way people should look at it yeah when i started in 2007 i probably had a studio a home studio within like a year mm-hmm. <laughs> and and this booth i had in 2011 i think yeah. So, yeah. So, and I mean, I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> Certainly there are a lot, a lot of people like me who had already invested in the home studio. So I think you're, you're right. pretty spot on yeah. there with, and, you know, yeah. And we're interested in helping talents be successful. Obviously there as audio producers, as casting agents and directors, we can't mm-hmm. be successful without talent. So Sam and I did put a lot of time in, uh, Sam in particular put a lot of time in helping people design their rooms, uh, build up their studios, giving them tech advice. Mm -hmm. We had big seminars with uh, major agents where they had all their talents in. There were like 100 people on the Zoom call. And we walked them through the different ways that you can connect from home and, and work with your clients. Remember that, Sam? 
That's great. <laughs> yeah, I do. I know. So long ago when we were all young and naive thinking this is only going to be about three weeks. So, oh, oh man. Oh, my that was, goodness. Yeah. But that was time. Be alive, hopefully man. that was time well spent Art. for talent. That yeah. They, uh, you know, got their game up to speed yeah. for, oh, yeah. you know, this new voiceover industry that we're really in a part of now. We're in this new moment in voiceovers. It's totally changing for the good. A lot of good things are happening. But, you know, like I said, you got to be unstuck. You got to go for it. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to another question. Are there things that have happened during this pandemic at Lotus that you actually really like? We're always happy at Lotus, but <laughs> oh, go ahead, Sam. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's more just the, um, I think, how fast things happen. Like, you know, compared to other parts of acting, voiceover was always really lightning fast, but we just hit quantum <laughs> through all of this because, yes. you know, especially during the political season, we were doing a lot of politicals and we were really busting butt like the whole time. Mm -hmm. You know, I was mixing from 8 a.m. till like 11 p.m. for about wow. nine months. So it was just mm -hmm. nonstop. So you have to be on, you have to be ready to go. And I think about, you know, me and Jim talk about this all the time. If the, if things had been normal and we were doing this political season at the office, there's no way we could have put out as much product as we did. This really ramped up speed and it's like, okay, I know so-and-so is good. I know they have a great studio. I know this is all set up. Let's get this time. Let's do this. Let's do that. Scripts approved. Let's go. Everything was just beyond right. Sam's uh, absolutely mm -hmm. right. I think that was the big takeaway for us is that uh, this the political activity to me signaled what the industry is going to be like in all the genres. Maybe it's politicals right now, but mm -hmm. uh, whether it's promos or commercials or e-lessons, they're all going to become that fast. And uh, the idea that we couldn't have handled it unless we were in our home studios, uh, if we had to commute into Manhattan where our studio is, we still have our studio on 25th and Broadway. But if we had to spend time commuting in and out of New York City, we never could have put out the volume without going bananas. So, uh, we took that as a signal. It's like, hey, this is, once again, this is the future of voiceover, and we have to adjust to it. Yeah, it's really interesting. Are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio-branding-strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website, and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up, though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests, and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while. Totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that, too. Now, back to the podcast. I'd like to backpedal just a little because we got way into the pandemic and I, I totally understand why. <laughs> I, I get why. I mean, it's kind of on sure. everyone's mind right now. So, But I wanted to back up a little bit and sort of go to the genesis of how the two of you got interested in sound. So I wanted to ask you, do you have a particular memory that was of how sound influenced you when you were early on in your career or before your career as a kid? Mm -hmm. Like, Anything that 
sticks out to you? Sure. Well, you could go first, Jim. I'll let you take this one. Uh, <laughs> no, it's no problem. Are you throwing him? Are you throwing him <laughs> under the bus? Uh, that's a great question, uh, Jody. I like that question. Uh, I think as a kid, I just you know I memorized theme songs of TV shows. Uh, I knew like jingles. You know, I used to sing them. They made me happy. Okay. Uh, and then as I got a little older, like, I was really into music and playing records. And you know, I'm I'm a little older than some of you guys, and you know. You know, I used to go to parties and bring my records and play records so people could dance. And, you know, it was a way that, you know, I expressed myself. Uh, and then when I got into college, uh, a lot of my friends were filmmakers and they needed a sound man because it was like, I didn't want to be a filmmaker. I wasn't a cameraman. So, you know, I was studying communications anyway, and I took some like instant courses on how to be a location sound man for like student documentary films. Okay. And I just found that I liked it, that it was something fun for me. So. That's where my interests in sound came from. And I'm still, sound still fascinates me. I I love sound. It's it's just an interesting, interesting thing. And again, you know, obviously it's, it's the future. What about you, Sam? Did you like cartoons? Well, (laughs) yes, I love cartoons. I'm a nerd. Like, I mean, come on guys. I I grew up on Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z. Let's be real here. I grew up on Toonami. So all of that was kind of my life, but I have like two distinct memories. I could probably say are the reason I got into sound. So sure. The one that I think is less influential, just one that happened to be coincidence. So I was a kid. This was when the first IMAX were coming out. I did get a laptop because my parents were like, okay, you need it for school. You can take it with you to college and whatnot. I was like in high school. And GarageBand was one of the preloaded like bloatware programs that they had on it. And, you know, here I am just fooling around on this thing. I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then, you know, that that just kind of stayed there in childhood. Then come to college, it's junior year, I'm having classes. I was a journalism major at American University. I graduated with my bachelor's in broadcast journalism. So I'm in a couple of my classes, and one thing I very distinctly remember my professor saying is, don't be so dead set to be on camera. Sometimes it's not for you. Your role will not always be in front of the camera. It won't be on the mic. You may be better in the war room. And, you know, I was like, you know what? That's really good advice. Why am I going to force something that doesn't work? And I never really had the feel for being live. Like, I could totally do something if it was a report that I pre-scripted and this, that, the other. But I didn't do well in live. I'm like, okay, this is not going to work. I'm better in the war room. I'm really good at bossing people around. I'm really good at giving <laughs> orders. So I'm good. I'm good at like disaster management. So because of that, I was always a producer. Like that was just kind of my role. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing was, you know, I ended up just taking a radio class when, I, again, when I was a junior and I'm like, you know, I kind of like this. And while everybody else I graduated with was like, oh, I'm going to work for NBC. I'm going to work for CBS. I'm going to go to an affiliate in Georgia. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm like, you know what? Let me try and do some radio places. I don't think a lot of people are applying there. Sure enough, post-grad, I got a freelance job at a radio station down in D.C. Um, I worked at two sister stations. One is called WTOP. It's 103.5 FM down there. And they're like the equivalent of 1010 Winds in the New York area. And then the other one is WFED 1600 AM. That's it. At the time, it was called Federal News Radio. But now it's called Federal News Network. And, you know, I, ha- I wore a ton of hats between both of the stations. I was board op. I was an assistant editor. I was a live producer. I I was a writer. I was many, many things between both of them. So I really think those ended up pushing me into voiceover because who would have known that me fooling around on GarageBand as a kid would lead to me using Pro Tools on a daily basis? Who would have known? Yeah. (laughs) I think we're all glad you did, though. We were were waiting for you, Sam. (laughs) We were setting the industry up for you. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which brings me to another question. Uh, how did you end up starting Lotus, Jim? Uh, after being a location sound man, I was a location sound man for documentary and news companies for about three years. I traveled around the world uh, many, many times, went to many different places around the world. And I think it's actually the root of why Lotus is such a global company, because as a young man, I just saw all these interesting people with very similar situations in life all around the world. And I also understood that there was an advertising business everywhere I went. Uh, Eventually, being a location soundman wasn't what I wanted for myself as a married man with a family. Sure. Uh, so uh, I took a studio job in New York City. It happened to be run by a gentleman called John Lotus. Uh, John was a really popular New York announcer in the 70s. Mm -hmm. He was very successful. And of course, voiceover in the 60s and 70s, which was a much smaller pool of people. But John got tired of going around the advertising agencies and auditioning. So he built his own studio in like the late 70s. And what because he knew all the agents and he knew all the best voices, he said he came up with the idea of like, hey, if you get calls from out of town advertising agencies and you don't want to deal with it, I have a studio, I'll be a paymaster. And all they have to do is call me and I'll put the jobs together. So those were the seeds of what Lotus Productions is today. Uh, I became uh, John's partner, and then eventually, you know, John, just like Sam and I, uh, I was Sam back then, and, and John was me. So uh, eventually, <laughs> we pass each other in our careers, and uh, I took over Lotus Productions and made some changes in it that, that we started to follow technology a little faster, but we never forgot that the company came from a, a person who was a talent. So we've always been 100% talent oriented and recognize that that's the important part. That's the thing we're selling, that our relationships and building up relationships with talent. I'm sure the talent all appreciate that. <laughs> we, well, well, we appreciate them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so asking you more a little bit about Lotus, what kind of work do you guys find yourself doing more often than not? What do you say, Sam? So as... Very obviously, as I could state it, this last year was just nonstop politicals. Everything was, <laughs> okay. there we go. That was just the entire year. But one thing I would definitely say is there's a lot of e-lesson, a lot of narration, a lot of corporate training, because especially this is a totally unprecedented situation. We haven't had something like this in a century, and we've never had something like this in the digital age. So you put those factors into consideration and you have a cocktail of just human foibles that need to be put through legal ringing in order mm -hmm. to make sure that your company doesn't get sued. So there is a ton of e-lesson work out there for that reason. Oh uh, my goodness. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're still involved in commercials and TV. Uh, last night at 7 PM, Sam and I were working on a virtual reality piece. Wow. Uh, so uh, yeah. there, there's so many emerging fields in voiceover. You know, obviously we're, we're all talking about voice here today, but uh, you know, we we have our eye on smart speakers and how people will use voices on those. So, uh, you know, we, we always say that we cast and produce on, you know, any platform that has to do with voice. You know, it, it's everything. It's what yeah. makes it fun. And, you know, it, if you, you hear somebody talking on it, we're probably working on it. That's the <laughs> way that I see it. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So getting getting back into uh, maybe how this has evolved over the years, and I'm also I'm talking less about the the analog versus digital and and more about how the workflow has changed i mean obviously it's sped up but what kind of voice changes have you seen because i mean there are trends that you know all of this is is trend stuff right. so you know um like what kind of voice trends were you hearing up until covid and then after covid 
pre-COVID, post-COVID. Yeah, you're right. There, yeah. There's always been trends in voiceovers. You know, my to be fair, my career goes back to the you know early 1980s. Uh, obviously, a very male-dominated moment in, in the voiceover business. And today, you know, we see almost a 100% flip. We see younger female voices as being so popular, and certainly younger female versus voices with a lot of diversity mixed into it. Uh, mm-hmm. Pre-COVID, uh, you know, you kind of had that brighter, lighter thing, both in the male and female side. Uh, Post-COVID, uh, actually, in specific, a little, an addition of like a, a little more mature female voice, like uh, 35, 45, 50, with love to all women in those age brackets. Uh, I've you, definitely benefited from this, I have <laughs> you, to say. You saw that enter in because they want this empathetic, reassuring voice, which I think will continue for a while. Uh, but very much so, and, and Sam can talk about about the, the addition of diversity, which is actually a, a, big, yeah. a big thing that Lotus is about. What do you say, yeah, Sam? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, you know, if anybody's ever gotten one of my emails for an audition, you know that I'm on the bandwagon about diversity. I'm not here to play around. I'm not here to say, hey, you know, we're only casting one kind of vice. No. Lotus, even before I was there, was all about getting people who deserve to be there. And that was everybody. That didn't just mean like, oh, we're only going to cast white people. We're only going to cast so-and-so. We're going to typecast you. We're going to niche you. No, it was never about that. And we were always lucky enough to kind of be on that bandwagon before everybody realized, hey, I need to get on it too. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's just, I'm glad that there's a lot of diversity. I'm just disappointed it took that long to get to where we are now. And my hope is that it stays that way. And the reason I think it will is because what's happening? You have people who are in the middle to late tiers of millennial generate of the millennial generation and the beginnings of Gen Z coming into the workforce. They're tired of not seeing themselves in media. Doesn't matter if it's a commercial or a podcast or anything. They want to see themselves so this way they you know, future generations don't have to feel the way they do. Believe me, when I see people who look like me and sound like me and speak Spanish like me on media, I appreciate it now. And I hope, like my sister, she's 14. I hope she sees that too and she appreciates it. I hope she doesn't ever have to feel weird to get made fun of because, you know, I can't even tell you how many times, I'm I'm Puerto Rican American and I cannot tell you how many times people used to call me slurs and used to just say that I was Mexican and always asked me how to make a taco. So wow. it, it's just disgusting. And I am so ready to see that go away. I'm yeah. so ready. Yeah. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, Sam's right, of course, and we're, we're very proud of that. But uh, what, we, what we love about diversity and what our clients are turned on by is that, you know, when you put diversity into your casting, onto a script, onto an audition, you get a variety of ideas. You get a diversity of ideas. And particularly what sure. Sam's talking about, when you look, you always have to keep your mind that the producers and the casting agents and your clients are younger everybody's young in the voiceover business in the advertising game. It's a young person's game. So whether you're a talent or you're an agent and you're looking for talent, uh, you want to focus on the fact that your clients are younger. And so Mm -hmm. they want a variety of ideas. They want a variety of voices. So that's why we've always, you know, been fans and and try to be as active and vocal about it as we can. Yeah, I love that. And and, and good for you guys, because that's uh, definitely needed and, and should be definitely (laughs) done. It's the new beat. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear it. 
I know that we're all dealing with a lot of stuff these days, so I particularly wanted to acknowledge those that have taken the time to leave honest reviews of this podcast. Like Edward F2, who says, Jody does a wonderful job diving into the details of audio branding strategy with her guests. She finds a way to uncover great insights through light, entertaining conversation that will keep you listening straight through to the end. I'm really glad you enjoyed it, Edward. I hope you'll keep listening. And now back to the show. Getting into a little bit more about um, the clients who hire you, um, uh, young, old, anyone in between, mm-hmm. um, do they know about audio branding? Are they actually paying attention to the sounds and the voices and what they say about their brand? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'd say they have to. If they weren't, then they wouldn't be able to stay relevant. One thing's for sure. It's like, if there's one thing I've noticed is that advertising trends, I'll call it that, not cycles, but more trends, they're, they maybe stay fresh for 18 months. So the sound from now is going to be very different 18 months from now. And it was very different 18 months before this. So the copy's got to be fresh. If it's not really kind of fitting what's going on in the world, it's it's not going to fly. It's like they have to be on top of their branding and they have to be on top of trends because if they're not, they're they're just going to fade right out and people are going to be like, oh, what brand is that? Right. And, and audio branding, uh, when we talk to these these companies that are emerging that are, you know, voiceover uh, branding companies, it's really casting. It's another word for casting. You know, they, mm-hmm. uh, they you know, again, it's a lot of younger people. They're trying to learn about how you cast voices. So uh, when they connect with our company, we're, we're sort of breaking it down for them. It's like, oh, yeah, if you want. Uh, I remember being at a conference in uh, uh, the voiceover conference that was in Newark for a couple of years. What was yeah, that the, conference, Sam? You and I were there. Was it the vocation uh, you're talking no, about? No, 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 not no. vocation. The one okay, in Newark okay. that's much more uh, AI-oriented. Vo- is it voice AI? I'm going to look this up now. <laughs> should, <laughs> I mean, you know, we can blame it on COVID, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's right. like... I don't know if you edit these, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell my story anyway. So <laughs> we're at a major voice conference. Voice uh, Summit. Um, voice yeah, summit. Voice hey. summit. Uh, yeah, Voice so, Summit. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't uh, mean to interrupt. No problem. That was great. I remember being at the Voice Summit in Newark. Sam and I were there, and we're at a you know a breakout table, and we're with some of these young people who are you know young producers who are involved in audio branding, and they start to ask me about casting, and they're like, so uh, quote, so you're telling me if I tell you I want young women in their twenties who sound like new moms, you can get me samples of voices like that. I'm like, well, yeah, I can do it before you leave this table if you'd like. But (laughs) if you give me 24 hours, I can get you 30, 40 voice actors who will be exactly what you want. So there's a moment where you just got to keep your heart open and say like, okay, yeah, I may know something. Sam may have a great experience, but we're trying to share what we know, share our knowledge with these uh, new creatives and uh, show them what we can do, what what, what talents can do. So, uh, you know, it's audio branding, but it's really casting 101. But uh, yeah. You, you can't close yourself down. You have to be open to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like one thing I'll add to that is I, you know, we did Voice Summit two years in a row and then we were supposed to go to the one in D.C. Like they decided to move it from Newark to D.C. Mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be for 2020. Obviously, things did not work out such mm. way. Yeah. So we didn't get the chance to go. But um, one thing that I've noticed since going to Voice Summit these last couple of years is there is a very big left brain, right brain divide in that sort of area. It's like, um, there's a lot of real technical scientific people in that world and they Mm -hmm. just haven't figured out how to connect that creative edge. 
And we're trying to be that bridge there. It's like, hey, we are like the liaison between the creatives and the techs. And we really kind of want to put ourselves there because it's inevitable. They're going to come together and we want to make sure that flow is going to go well. It's right. like if we can help that transition, that's going to be for the better, especially for the VO industry. Right. Because we want to share our knowledge of talents. We want to share our relationships with voices, with these people, because, uh, you know, we see a growth in, uh, you know, the creative side of voice experiences that we're really seeing a growth there. And exactly to Sam's point, it's going to have to change so much. You're not going to be one person isn't going to be the brand for like three, four, five years. The old days of voiceovers where there's a signature voice mm -hmm. uh, that may exist to an extent, but there's going to be all these other voices that are going to be needed to be involved in and to talk to different audiences because of the obviously synthetic voice and the speed of the industry. They're going to be able to end the targeting that we were already seeing. You know, obviously we talked about political spots. We were the spots we were making on a digital on digital platforms were so targeted. They were targeted to zip codes. Mm. So we're, we're doing variations within a political spot just to talk to different neighborhoods within one state. Yeah, uh, like two yeah. counties could have had a totally different spot, one from another. Yeah. Or, or we're not to drift too far away, but to make a specific spot that had a Spanish voice, obviously it's a generic spot, but now we're targeting a Spanish community in Miami. Now we're targeting a Spanish community in Dallas or Phoenix or Los Angeles. And we have to change that voice to every market. Yeah. It's exciting. It's a, it's very exciting. Yeah, I know Pandora is doing this as well. They do dynamic spots mm -hmm. definitely yeah. all the time. Right. So yeah. in the end, it uh, you know, we kind of talk about this sometimes voiceovers if you're a talent becomes a volume game. You know, it's not just like, oh, you know, the my old world in the 80s and 90s was like, I got two or three national accounts, I'm in, you know. And it was true, you were in. Yeah. But yeah. now it's, it's you can still Doesn't look for the... Doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah, you can still look for those like, you know, golden ring accounts and they're out there, it, it happens. Mm -hmm. But it's really a volume game. You want to be thinking about, I want to be able to deliver, you know, my my supply chain of delivering my voice quickly to my clients is is about volume. Yeah. And then I think... You can be successful. You can have a life that you enjoy. Take care of your family. Take care of your children if you have them. Uh, and, you know, do something creative with your, your skill as a voice talent. Yeah. I've always kind of thought that the regional and local spots are kind of where it's at right mm -hmm. now. <laughs> right. Or the big non-broadcast. there's so many of yeah, them. Non, as Sam said, non-broadcast, web communications. Sure. Uh, uh, we're, you know, in specific, we're seeing our financial clients and the pharmaceutical yeah, clients very yes, much yeah. committed now within the, this pandemic experience, committed towards, hey, we're going with graphics, uh, we're, we need voiceovers. So they're, they're sending us messages like, are you guys ready? Can you handle the volume? And of course, we're ready. Well, let's go. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> so, you just got done with the political season. Yeah, You're ready. We're ready. Oh, so, um, so all our voice um, talent yeah. friends, Jody and all your voice talent peers yeah. and friends, we're coming for you. <laughs> Good to know. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time. <laughs>